0: actually a good Sunday. Any Sunday you get to begin with a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a great Sunday. German theologian, pastor, author, martyr. I don't know if I told you this, but the bunny that we had until very recently, we named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. <laughs> True story. One of my heroes. And so this is what Bonhoeffer writes in his classic little book entitled Life Together. In a Christian community, everything depends on whether each individual is an indispensable link in a chain. Only when even the smallest link is securely interlocked is the chain unbreakable. Every Christian community must realize that not only do the weak need the strong, but also that the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak is the death of fellowship. I don't know if you call it all of that or not. Each individual is indispensable. The weak need the strong, but also the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak is the death of fellowship. And so should you ask, why have a Disability Awareness Sunday? This is a good answer to that question. It's because we are a fellowship. We are a family, a family on mission together. And families have those with special needs and disabilities. They are an indispensable part of Of the family. In fact, they can plead us. And so when those with special needs and disabilities, along with their families, are absent from our family and fellowship as they too often are, our family is not as strong as it could be. Our family, because of their absence, is not as strong as it should be. And I pray that's What we'll see, and that will become clear as we go through the passage this morning, which brings me to another point. Deciding on which text to use on a Sunday like this is a bit overwhelming. Because in Scripture, you find only one person who is perfectly able and flawless in every way, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Which means everybody else is fair game. So, how do you choose? The Bible is a story of our great and good and glorious and gracious God and his interaction with special need disabled people. And so the reality for every one of us here this morning is that every Sunday is Disability Sunday. Truly, every Sunday is Disability Sunday. Each of us have a desperate relentless need that only Jesus can help. And those with special needs among us remind us of that truth. And so I have chosen, not Deuteronomy, and the people said, I have chosen instead Revelation chapter 3 verses 14 through 20. So if you have your Bible with you, if you would take it and, and turn to that passage, and while you're turning there, let me just say this ahead of time. There may be things that I say this morning that come across in ways other than I intend, and that's because I'm not a perfectly abled person. I'm disabled, And my ability to understand physical disabilities and special needs, I'm not an expert in it. And so please know that my uh, intent is not to offend, but only to, to bless all of us. And if I go astray a little, I'm sure that you, some of you will enlighten me gently after the service. But if you have your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 3, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched. Pitiful. Poor. Blind. And naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Lord, you promise specifically here in the book of Revelation that you will bless when this word is read and heard. And so, Lord, we already know that the blessing is ours because we have heard these words of Jesus. So we thank you for that. And we pray that the blessing would continue this morning as we spend some time in these verses, that you'll bless us with understanding, that you'll bless us with clear vision to see you and to see your truth, that you'll bless us with the ability to rightly see and perceive ourselves, that you will bless us with the transformation that comes to us when your spirit joins your word. We ask these things of you, things we cannot do for ourselves, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You'll be seated. I want us to get some context for this church of Laodicea since it may not be as familiar to you as some of the other churches that are mentioned in the New Testament. Because it's the context, it's the context of this passage that is going to enable us to recognize our disabilities and our special needs and go to Jesus for help with them. So here's some of the context. Laodicea, the city was six to eight miles from Colossae. Because of that, it's very likely that a man named Epaphras planted this church as he planted the church among the Colossians. And so Paul writes in Colossians chapter 4 that Epaphras is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans And that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Now, this letter from Laodicea, perhaps it's a lost letter, but many scholars believe it's the letter to the Ephesians that went to them and then it's passed on. These letters were circular. Whatever the case, the content of Ephesians, the content of Colossians is applicable to all of these churches. And so the high praise That Paul gives to the Ephesians and the Colossians goes equally to the Laodiceans. Here's what Paul says to the Ephesians. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. And so here is genuine thanks for genuine faith. The gospel was real among the believers in Ephesus. Jesus was real among them. Paul goes on to write, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. For it is by grace you have been saved, by faith. And this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Real transformation had taken place in the church at Ephesus. They used to live in sin and transgressions, and now they live by the grace of the Lord. Paul continues, In Christ, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. This church is becoming the dwelling place of God, a real family on mission together. To the Colossians, Paul writes, "'All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing "'just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it "'and understood God's grace and all its truth. "'You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, "'who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf "'and who also told us of your love in the Spirit.'" Here in Colossae, the gospel is growing. The gospel is bearing fruit. They have the love of the Spirit of God. And so what was true of the Ephesians and the Colossians is true of the Laodiceans as well. The gospel was real among them. Jesus was real among them. Real transformation had taken place among them. They used to live in sin. Now they live by grace. They are being built together as a family on mission together. The gospel is growing and bearing fruit among them and they have the love of the Spirit of God. That's the church of the Laodiceans. And so it's a little troublesome, a little bit unsettling to read here in Revelation, what this had, church had become in just 30 years, 30 years, what happened? And what might it have to do with special needs and, and disability? Here's some facts that we know about the city of Laodicea. It was a wealthy center, center and center. It was... A financial center, it had extensive banking operations. You can think of New York City, if you want. It was home of a renowned medical school. You can think MUSC, if you want to. Or you can think of Harvard Medical, whichever comes to your mind. But it was famous particularly for its school of ophthalmology. They produced in Laodicea this powder that could be turned into a salve. And the salve, when applied to their eyes and the ears, it had curative powers. Laodicea was a thriving textile center, world famous for the fine black wool of their sheep. Think of any New England textile town or Rock Hill, South Carolina, I don't care. The city boasted two theaters and a stadium, so there was plenty of entertainment. You might think of Los Angeles. The city was so wealthy that when an earthquake almost completely destroyed it in 60 AD, the citizens refused money from Rome for rebuilding. Please imagine. That's like telling FEMA after a flood or a hurricane, no thanks, we don't need your money. You know, who turns down free money, right? Especially from the government. Well, that's what they did. The Laodiceans rebuilt the city with their own resources. So, who could ask for a hipper, cooler, more vibrant, prosperous, and progressive city in which to live than Laodicea? Now imagine that you are a Christian in a church in a city like this. How do you escape the influence of this city, How do you prevent the influence of the city from creeping into the church, from getting caught up in all the excitement? What would your strategy be for reaching a city like this that had everything they needed with the good news of the gospel? These are timeless questions, right? We need to be asking those very same questions right here at 43 Wentworth Street in the heart of the city of Charleston. Apparently the Laodiceans were not successful in figuring out the answer to these questions. They did not impact their city. Apparently, the city instead impacted them. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And so this church family is in a, a state of complete indifference. The church is neither yes nor no, just a bunch of maybes. They're not cold unbelievers, but they're not passionate believers. They don't oppose the gospel, but they don't zealously promote it either. And I'm sure this church was full of people who were respectable and reverent, and I bet they did everything decently And in order, that's what good Presbyterians value. But emotion, intensity, relentless pursuit of Christ and the gospel was absent from this church. So in a short time, they went from the high praise of Paul recorded in Ephesians and Colossians to Jesus' condemnation in these verses. And since scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun, we better be asking some questions right now. How did the Laodiceans move from being hot to lukewarm? Why was their love for Christ and the power of the gospel not sustained among them? It should be clear to all of us, as we look at the Laodiceans, That the Christian life is not static. You don't stay in one place. It isn't intended to be static. It's moving and changing. And so the question you have to ask yourselves. And we have to ask ourselves as a church. Is how do we keep the direction of our movement. Toward more heat. More passion for Christ. And the gospel. And away from the nothingness of lukewarmness. In order for us to do that, we have to recognize the extremity of our disability and our special need. Look in verse 17. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Do not need a thing. The Laodiceans believe themselves to be perfectly Abled. In no way needy, in no way disabled. They said, my abled self doesn't need a thing. But Jesus speaks reality into their perfectly abled delusion. So look what he says in verse 17. The Laodicean said this, but, says Jesus, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow! We're not talking about being a little bit off here in self-assessment, like giving themselves a 9 out of 10, and then Jesus saying, well, I really gave you an 8 out of 10. We're talking about total unawareness, of their true condition. Self-assessing at a number 10 and Jesus assessing at a number one. They consider themselves rich. Jesus says, you're poor. They consider they need nothing. Jesus says, you're wretched, pitiful, blind, and naked. You do need something. You need compassion. You need sight. You need clothes those who consider themselves perfectly abled are in reality tragically disabled and therefore in need of extreme help. And when I think about those with physical disability and special need, there is an extremity about them. There's no lukewarmness. A wheelchair doesn't go unnoticed, doesn't fit in, bring one in here, where will it go? Neither does a a service dog that might accompany those who need help seeing. The sounds that some special needs people make awkwardly interrupt when there should be reverent silence. Erratic gestures break out when there's supposed to be calm and these extremes interrupt a lukewarm world the world that we like where it's not too hot it's not too cold but it's just right said Goldilocks (laughs) and that's the power of peer pressure we just want to be quote-unquote normal We don't want to stand out as the only one who doesn't drink at a party. We don't want to stand out as the only one who doesn't experiment with drugs. We don't want to be the only one not having premarital or extramarital sex. We don't want to be the only one without all the technological gadgets or the latest model car. Most of us just want to blend in. We just want to be normal. That's a challenge for me that was supposed to be funny, you can laugh. <laughs> but isn't that really our issue with what we call special needs? They stand out and they won't be quote unquote normal. Here's a quote from the book called Disability in the Gospel. Those with disabilities are a continual accusation to those who have sold their souls to normalcy. Here's another quote from the book. The image of the ideal human as powerful and capable disenfranchises the old, the sick, and the less abled. A society that honors only the power, the clever, and and, and the winners necessarily belittles the weak. It is as if to say to be human is to be powerful. So those with special needs and disabilities, they can scare us. Because they remind us that to be human isn't always to be powerful. And that's a scary thing. It also means being desperate. And we don't want to be reminded that we are desperate people, do we? We don't want to be reminded that we are desperate people. Well, let me just tell you this. Desperate is the new normal. That's a good thing to say together, right? Say that with me. Desperate is the new normal. One more time. Desperate is the new normal. New that is since the fall when sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden. We fool ourselves if we believe that to be desperate is to be abnormal. Because after the fall, the new normal for the world is extreme desperation for help with special need and disability. The world that you and I know and experience every day is not normal. This is not the way it is supposed to be. Sin destroyed the beauty of God's normal, which was good and perfect and well-pleasing. That is normal. And guess what? You and I cannot recreate normal. We can't. Only God can. And so that makes the need for all of us extreme. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. We'll try it one more time because you know what? If we can't admit this, there's no help for us. We need a Savior. There you go. So, extreme special needs and disabilities that just won't fit into a lukewarm world remind us of our own desperation. We cannot save ourselves. The Laodiceans did not believe that. They would not acknowledge their desperation or their disabilities. Those among us with disabilities remind us that they are not the anomaly. They are not the exception. They are the rule in the new normal. And so you just have to ask. I have to ask, where is your desperate need of the Lord? Your desperate need of the Lord. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Our call to worship this morning, Psalm 79. May your mercy come quickly to meet us. For we are in desperate need. Are you? Help us, God our Savior, for the glory of our name. Deliver us. Forgive us our sins for your namesake. May the groans, groans of the prisoners come before you with your strong arm. Preserve those condemned to die. That's desperation, is it not? Disabilities remind us of our desperate condition. Secondly, they remind us that our desperate need is relentless. As Julie mentioned after the skit this morning, the person who has special needs and disabilities and the families that love and serve them, they know this, that in the morning, the same need will be there again and again. And again, and sometimes in the company of some additional needs, you don't get over disability like you get over a cold. You don't beat it like you might beat cancer. Special need doesn't go away. Disability never lets up. Neither does the disability and special need that each of us here have. Look in verse 18. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. I counsel you. Present active verb. Right now, in this moment, Jesus is counseling And present active verbs indicate ongoing activity. So in every moment, Jesus is counseling. And what is he counseling? Buy from me. Past active command. You bought once when you believed the gospel. You bought, yes. But you must buy from Jesus again and again and again. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. What Jesus offers to us comes to us at no cost. Is that good news? But the moment we stop going to the Lord for the gold, for the treasures found in him, in that moment we become poor again. In the moment we stop going to the Lord and asking him to dress us every day in his righteousness, we are exposed And naked once again. In the moment we stop asking him to show us the light and his truth, we become blind again. In the moment we stop going to Jesus, we return to pitiful wretchedness instead of compassionate blessedness. And I'm not talking about losing your salvation here. That's not what this is about. I'm talking about living the normal Christian life. You and I have a relentless need for Jesus. And the moment we stop coming to him in desperate need of him is the moment that we began to drift from heat to lukewarmness and then to cold, dead orthodoxy. The relentless persistence of special needs reminds us of our relentless, persistent need of Christ. You will never get over needing him. Neither will I. And this might have been the very issue that deceived those in Laodicea. They believed, along with the Galatians, that they only needed to make a start with Jesus. Jesus, you, you hold on to the seat. Because as soon as I get my balance and, and start pedaling, you can let go and I'll be fine on my own. Right? They believed that their imbalance, they believed that their inability to ride that bike was only temporary, that both of them could be overcome and then they would be just fine on their own, having gotten a good push from Jesus. Not true. Our brokenness and our special needs are persistent. I do not mean to suggest that this life is hopeless. It's not. Of course, we have great victories. The Christian life is all about sanctification, becoming more like Christ. But it is only through constant, persistent, relentless dependence on him that we will ever be like him. And it will never be because we finally get it right on our own and we say, I do not need a thing. May it never be. We're too spiritually disabled for that. Our need is relentless. It will not end. It will not let up in this life. You will never not have special need. It's in the next life. Listen. In the next life, we will all be equally abled. And we will all stand with joy, unashamed, completely forgiven of all human frailty in the glorious presence of Jesus. And that's the day toward which we're moving. It's what Jesus says in verse 21. Look there. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, we're going to do what Jesus did. Overcome and sit down in the presence of the father for all eternity. That's the destination for those who recognize their extreme desperation and their relentless need for Jesus. In the meantime, we have to wait. And what do we do? Look in verse 20. Are y'all okay? It's not too much longer. Everybody good? If you're not, don't say so. (laughs) Look in verse 20. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And so this, this is what the Lord has for those with special needs and disabilities right now. You know what he has for them? Intimate fellowship. And you couldn't express infinite fellow, intimate fellowship better in the day when Revelation was written than talking about the table. That's where friends met together. That's where family met together. That's where intimate relationships were forged and strengthened. Table fellowship. So listen to the Lord's heart in this. Jesus says this in Luke 14. But when you give a banquet... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. That's who Jesus wants at his table. Who are the crippled, the lame, and the blind? I'll tell you this. If you're too proud to include yourself, well, not me, not crippled, lame, or blind, then you won't be at the table with the Lord. The first words that Jesus speaks according to Luke. We read this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He anointed me to preach to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Recovery of sight for the blind. To set free those who are downtrodden. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Who are the poor? The captives. The blind. The oppressed. If you don't include yourself, then you don't need Jesus. But I'm telling you, you do need Jesus. You need Jesus because without Him you are poor, you are captive, you are blind, and you are oppressed. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one who bo- let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, if you're strong, you don't need Jesus. If you're wise, you don't need Jesus. If you are high and lifted up, you don't need Jesus. If you are already something, I am something, then you don't need Jesus So it is for your own good to just admit, can you just admit, I am a disabled person. I am a special needs person. I'm weak. I'm foolish. I'm low. I'm nothing without Christ. And when we all make that admission, guess what? There's Jesus to help us. Because in some special way that doesn't make sense to humans, The Lord displays his glorious power through those who are the weakest, most needy, and most disabled. And so of course, we welcome them into our presence because Jesus does. We should long for them to be in our presence because Jesus has that longing himself. They are beautiful reminders of the gospel of grace. And so however... You are abled. Use that ability for every member of the body of Christ. Use your abledness to serve unconditionally others who are not abled as you are. Former Surgeon General C. Everett Koop writes this. The one worth of the quote-unquote worthless is that they prove whether or not we are worthy to care for them. The very existence of the handicapped and the imperfect and the love bestowed on them by those who care stands as a testimony to the sacredness of human life. A life made in the image of God. So we welcome and love and learn from all. And we remember As one mother of a disabled child wrote, imperfect people engaged in imperfect relationships will always yield imperfect results. So just everybody take a deep breath. We're going to try this and we are going to make mistakes, aren't we? Imperfect people engaged in imperfect relationships are going to yield imperfect results. But guess what? The grace of the Lord covers it all. And grace makes this place and grace makes this family a safe and welcoming space for all people, the physically and the spiritually disabled. I'm going to finish with this. You cannot preach about disabilities without quoting Johnny Erickson Tata, right? I hope you all know her. Paralyzed from the chest down in a diving accident in 1969. I close with this. She writes, Weaknesses, have a way of either raising or lowering our value in the eyes of others. In spite of all your failings and struggles, the Lord Jesus did not purchase your life at low bid. No higher price could have been paid. From his point of view, you're worth your weight in weakness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge in all truth and reality that not only every Sunday, but every day is Disability Awareness Day for us. Father, there's not a day that should go by without us recognizing our great need for you, without recognizing our complete inability to be the people you've called us to be, to be apart from your good work and your presence with us and your truth to guide us. So Lord, thank you for that reminder this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we would all be more desperate for you. That as we move along in our Christian life that is not static, that we would move more and more toward heat and passion and zeal for you and for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May that be the direction, Lord, in which we are moving uh, in our lives. Father, thank you for the reminder uh, of the gospel. It's such good news to us. Thank you for doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Make us desperate for more of you and more of your work in us.